Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healthy Empath Podcast. Today, I am joined with a new friend of mine named Laura Lee Scaife. She is an incredibly wise woman, and I've been devouring a lot of her content recently and even did a, a long consultation with her, which was just so profound and healing and uh, new levels of awareness and growth. It was just wonderful. So I'm, I'm happy to be here today with her. So Laura Lee, could you please start us off with, uh, you know, an official bio and then from there, take us more into your own healing story, healing hero's journey, which we'll uh, mm. also be talking about later. Mm. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm uh, thrilled to be here with you today. And um, yeah, my name is Laura Lee Scaife, and I have been um, involved in the study of uh, astrology, Jungian psychology, um, starting way back in the late 1970s. And what led me to that in the first place um, was a considerable amount of suffering that occurred early in my life from my teenage years um, until um, I was, you know, almost 30. And uh, the uh, pain that went along with that uh, drove me to try to understand what was going on in myself and uh, uh, found that uh, my life seemed to be led primarily by synchronicity and fate, <laughs> to which I was dragged kicking and screaming most of the time. So I really wanted to try to understand what why that was and uh, what my purpose in life was to be. And I uh, came across astrology, you know, early on. Uh, some friends of mine were um, studying astrology back in the 70s. And at that time, I thought it was just actually a bunch of crap. I thought astrology was, you know, the stupid parlor talk, you know, hey, what sign are you? And I, I just really didn't think it had any relevance whatsoever. But my friends kept saying to me, oh, no, you need to have your chart done. You know, we need to do your chart. So finally they did uh, do my chart. And because they were just learning, they gave me a book that kind of broke down the signs and the planets and, you know, my particular signs and planets and whatnot. And I was absolutely blown away at how uh, right on it was and how uh, it helped me to understand a lot of the things that were going on in my life. So that really launched my interest in astrology and I began to uh, take some classes and learn how to uh, do charts which at that time, of course, there were no astrology programs and things like that. We had to do the charts by hand. And I mean drawing the charts, drawing the circle, drawing it all out, doing all the math, having all the books that you had to look up and everything else. So um, that was the beginning. And um, so shortly after I began studying astrology, I, again, synchronistically was given a book by um, Lawrence Vanderpost uh, called Young, the Man for Our Time, or something like that. And I had been uh, starting to read a series of 
books by a uh, an astrologer and Jungian analyst by the name of Liz Green, and this this was in the early 80s. So if any of your people out there have an interest in astrology uh, and Jung, I would well Jung astrology and mythology, I would highly recommend looking at the work of Liz Green. She uh, has an, a, a a center of uh, school really in London where she teach she and her people teach Jungian astrology and other things anyway so I started reading um, Liz Green's books and of course she was referring to this guy named Jung who I had barely heard of prior to this so upon reading this this book by Lawrence Vanderpost about Jung, I I was just totally amazed and turned on to Jung and began to search out uh, Jung's work, his collected works and so forth, which were pretty difficult to find at that time. And uh, so it was a slow uh, journey and study trying to read through Jung's collected works is a uh, a challenge in and of itself. <laughs> so mm. I got going with that in in the early years of studying astrology. And once I picked up on Jung and the mythological aspect of astrology, that just totally uh, fit for me. Because when I first started with astrology, uh, although it was this, it was psychological astrology that I, what I was studying, which was just opening up at that time. So it was going beyond the more, um, the older kind of astrology, which was pretty, pretty, um, predictive and, you know, it was more, the interpretations were more in the line of prediction. You know, if you have this and this, then this is going to happen. And it, it was not very psychological, but the, the bringing in of psychology to the early astrology that I was studying was, was very helpful. Um, but I still felt like there was something kind of missing there and once I tapped in to Jung and the mythology of the horoscope because all the the planets are gods and goddesses so that completely opened another door for me and that uh, really began my uh, study of Jung and then eventually into Joseph Campbell um, and I was particularly interested in, from the Jungian perspective uh, it, I was particularly interested in the shadow, this um, concept of the shadow and evil that uh, Jung um, talked a lot about in his collected work. And so I was looking at that primarily from the standpoint of personal psychology, looking at personal shadow and, you know, how to deal with the undigested, unconscious, undeveloped aspects of oneself, because I needed to work on that in my own self. And uh, that, of course, took uh, many years and a, a lot of personal therapy, including a, a five-year Jungian analysis from a Zurich-trained uh, analyst. So that really kind of nailed it for me and and gave me um, not only a sense of how how it all works in myself 
But from there, then, in the early 90s, I became particularly interested in the manifestation of shadow and evil in the external world because there were uh, really a cascade of things that happened in the, well, I think maybe it would have been the late 1980s and into the early 90s. There were a whole lot of things that were happening in the outer world. Um, I think it was during that time that we had the first school shooting. Was that not Columbine? Was that in 89 or the early 90s? Anyway, there were, there were a number of things that happened in the world that were just so shocking and, and, uh, terrible and, and, uh, really manifestations of, of evil. And I was wondering, like, how, how can this happen? Like, what is it that causes what seem to be ordinary human beings to, uh, commit these terrible acts uh, of evil and you know that included uh, there were a series of really horrific um, child abduction rape and murder things that took place um, during that time I happened to be living in San Diego California and there there were I think three or four things that happened very close together that involved uh, child abduction, rape, and murder. And then there was something that also happened during the 1990s. It was the uh, opening up of this uh, satanic ritual abuse issue. And um, so there, there were a lot of uh, prominent Jungians actually who, who began looking into this uh, at that time and so there was some writing and lectures and whatnot that were uh, looking at this satanic ritual abuse thing uh, but after a couple of years it kind of got shut down that whole issue and uh, it is now resurfacing as you may know this information has, has come back again um, to be reviewed. So although it was kind of poo-pooed and said, oh no, they all just made it up during the 90s, um, well, turns out that uh, it not only it didn't just sort of disappear, but it is still going on with a vengeance. And so that really got me even more interested in the concept of evil. And when I saw Lord of the Rings, or, or actually it was the first of the series, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, in theaters in December of 2001, uh, I just was completely blown away by how synchronistic it was, the, the fact that this um, movie and the following two uh, that came along after occurred uh, only a couple of months after 9-11. And uh, that, of course, was a huge shock, not only to me, but to the entire world. And we're still dealing with that, as a matter of fact. But uh, the synchronicity of Fellowship of the Ring appearing in theaters at that time, uh, I thought was really amazing. And I was particularly struck by how evil was portrayed 
in those films. And prior to that, I knew nothing about J.R.R. Tolkien, other than, you know, I'd heard his name around and about and knew that he, he was a well-known writer of children's stories. So I thought he was just a writer of children's stories and tales and had no idea of the depth uh, of his work. So that, uh, seeing that film, Fellowship of the Ring, um, I came out of that and, and I said to my friends who were with me, I said, this is the myth for our time. This is it. There is something so profound mm. and so deep and so psychologically complex in this story that uh, this this is where we are. This is what we need as humans, as the men and women of the West, to to understand what is going on now and how we can in fact uh, change that. And we are, of course, in the process of doing that right now as we speak. And some of this is also tied in to astrological cycles. So in um, August of uh, 2001, there was a very significant um, planetary uh, composition. It was the opposition of Saturn and Pluto. Now it turns out that we are right now in 2020 in the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And when there are these major cycle changes with outer planets, so the outer planets are Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And these planetary archetypes have to do with transpersonal process. So it, it, they do have impacts on our personal psyche, but they also represent historical cycles and historical changes that take place in the entire world. Uh, so we more or less live on the stage of what is happening in the larger collective and then we as individual humans are having to live out our own myth in conjunction or or let's say on the stage uh, of what's happening in our outer world but where something like Lord of the Rings comes in as the myth for our time it, it's as if that story is running in the unconscious for millennia, we are born with this story deep in our bones, these archetypal potentials, as you mentioned, the hero's journey, the shiro's journey, these uh, compositions of the masculine, the feminine, and how do we relate as men and women, and how do we rise to our greatness in the face of evil. And so... Looking at these astrological cycles helps us to understand what is the nature of the, the uh, dynamics that are going on in the larger collective. And then we look at how are those processes uh, affecting us at the personal level. And this can be seen in the, in the individual birth chart or horoscope. So, Saturn and Pluto, the, the two key words that describe this particular kind of process is 
Boyle Lansing. Pretty grisly image, but this is really what's going on. When Saturn and Pluto come together in their cycle, and this, the cycle runs between 35 and 38 years, uh, depending on the um, orbit of these two planets and how they interact. So, so this idea of Boyle Lansing is that under this particular influence, the toxins and poisons are pushed up to the surface. So they're, they're, uh, coming up from the, the deep unconscious and being pushed up to the surface so they can be seen, so they can be recognized. Just like if you, if you have a boil, um, it, it needs to be lanced and the, the poison comes up to the surface and it's very painful and it's ugly and messy, but it has to be opened up in order for the poison to be released and ultimately healing can take place. And the healing is really a, a metamorphosis. Pluto is the planet of metamorphosis, of death for the purpose of rebirth. And so in this image of boil lancing, the, the outcome of the poison being released and the, the healing that needs to take place is the equivalent of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. And, and this is such a powerful image and, and something that, uh, you know, is around us, actually, if anybody has ever actually seen, um, and there's lots of videos of this, too, I would recommend that everybody watch this process of what happens when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It is probably the most miraculous thing that we can ever consider, certainly as a metaphor. So we can say that right now, here, 2020, on planet Earth, we are undergoing a boil lancing, arising up to the surface of what, what I would call evil, the anti-life force. And as that is being pushed up into awareness and being seen, then there is the possibility to begin the healing process, which is a metamorphosis. In other words, we're all called at this time to undergo some kind of metamorphosis, to shed the, the caterpillar skin and, and to move into a a state of consciousness that is the equivalent of the butterfly. So, you know, we're all being called to this now. We're all being called to our greatness. And for those who are uh, aware enough, awake enough to understand this, then this is really uh, the, the, the battle at the Black Gate that uh, takes place at the end of The Lord of the Rings. And just to give you a I little, think everyone's feeling it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, except the people who, who just um, have uh, been what I call orcified. So orcification, meaning being turned into an orc, to the point that you have no, no self, no awareness of self that is separate mm -hmm. and independent from the, the collective herd mentality. And so just to 
tie back in a little bit more of this astrological cycle because it's so critical. Um, so Saturn and Pluto come into a conjunction. A conjunction means they come together. And the last time this happened was in 1982. So that means then that anyone born um, in within a couple of years of 1982 is under the influence of a Saturn-Pluto conjunction, meaning that they have that combo in their own chart. And so for anybody out there who is born during that period, I suspect you might be going through some pretty significant changes right now. And uh, it may behoove you to understand a little better this whole journey to the underworld experience. And so as this cycle then, you can trace the cycle back to like 400 some odd B.C., and the man who has done the work of tracking this cycle through history is a man named Richard Tarnas. And um, his book, Cosmos and Psyche, he uh, takes this apart bit by bit in, in a, an amazing way. So for anyone who's interested in looking at this historical cycle connected to the astrological and archetypal uh, cycles, check that out. So, whenever we're dealing with these cycles, there there is the conjunction, which is the beginning of a process. And that process is then set forth. It's like a seed that is planted that grows and gestates throughout the cycle. And during that period, in this case about 35 to 38 years, uh, Saturn moves through the process and, and connects up every uh, eight to ten years and during that time there there is generally a testing period so the seeds are planted the cycle begins at the conjunction and, and then there's a little testing periods that come along the way to help us know how we're doing and what needs to be done from there well what was going on in August of 2001, Saturn and Pluto were opposed to each other. That means it was halfway through the cycle. And obviously what took place a mere couple of weeks after that exact conjunction was the uh, attacks on um, the Twin Towers. I thought it was also pretty amazing that the second uh, uh, episode of Lord of the Rings was called The Two Towers. <laughs> I mean, you can't make that up. <laughs> so, um, so that was a critical turning point, certainly for the collective, because that that was such a shock and and such a, um, well, a shock <laughs> that that was so unexpected and just threw everyone into a, a loop, and. Um, really began to reveal, I think, this this business of evil, this anti-life force that is operating uh, in the human psyche. So here we are now at the end of the cycle and going through uh, everything that we're going through right now with this whole... Um, you know, pandemic, um, this this virus, 
and and also now uh, to top that off these protests and riots and and this uh, stirring up and fomenting of the divide and conquer strategy which uh, seems to work so well for the forces of evil if you get the people fighting amongst themselves then they cannot unite to fight the common enemy that's coming for us all and I think that is being revealed more and more every day uh, with people like yourself who are doing these podcasts and these kinds of interviews and studying these these deep subjects um, because we need to know these things now. We need to be able to to have the operating manual for how to be a human and that operating manual comes to us from myths and the reason Lord of the Rings is the myth for our time right now it is not because it's a new story but that it is an ancient ancient story that really is like the operating manual so we can look at the characters in the, in the story of Lord of the Rings um, but those archetypes are alive and well in our own personal psyche and collective psyche right now. They're just wearing different costumes. So, so it's a way to think about the, the dilemma we find ourselves in, both personally and collectively, and gives us some tools for how to deal with it so that we don't feel, um, overwhelmed and, uh, hopeless right right well yeah thank you for that overview and explanation and journey i want to share a few notes and reflections and then ask a couple questions mm -hmm. so one of them going back to astrology uh in the beginning mm -hmm. yeah it, it resonated with me because i i never really had any interest in astrology and mm -hmm. you know i've talked to some people about you know the birth charts and you know the horoscopes and to me yeah you changed that because i wasn't aware of these different types of astrology and so the only thing i really mm -hmm. was familiar with was what you mentioned like this like predictive type astrology yeah. so yeah. i saw astrology used as like some uh, trying to predict the future mm -hmm. or um like an excuse to yes to, to you know to like support some type of you know victim mentality oh oh this is why i'm not feeling well oh this is why this isn't happening mm -hmm. this is why you know you know it's because of that thing that right sort of thing. so um it's not that i never um believed in it i don't really see things in terms of belief or disbelief right. you know for me for me it's you know is it useful mm -hmm. <laughs> and and then at the at that point it was not and then the, you came along and i was yeah i listened to you're, you did it on a, a different podcast, uh, a long series going over your work and your studies of the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And so for anyone listening who's interested in that, um, I mean, I immediately fell in love because I love the Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. uh, the movies so much. And I love also, you know, the, the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell and uh, in psychology. And mm -hmm. that was in the archetypes. And, and that was all just combined into one. So I just, my soul was just completely lit up the entire time 
And so there's Wonderful. a long series that you guys can find on YouTube and then on go to Laura Lee's uh, you know, website, which I'll share later. And then she has videos that she made herself going through all this stuff in detail about the characters and the arch- archetypes and the lessons and the messages, mm-hmm. um, you know, way more than we will be able to talk about here. So mm-hmm. I highly encourage everyone to do that. And then, so yeah, this, this type of astrology, when I came across you, it was, it was useful, right? It was because mm-hmm. it explained things in a way that resonated. You didn't just say, oh, you know, this is happening or happened because this planet was there. It's like, okay, like that doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it broke it down in terms of mythology and mm-hmm. uh, psychology and archetypes. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I get it now. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. So that's my note on astrology. And then a another insight I wanted to share, just in terms of your journey, you know, it sounds like um, you know, at first it was motivated by the pain of mm-hmm. you know your your own pain mm-hmm. and then after you transformed through that it was motivated by the collective pain mm-hmm. and i think that is um isn't that addictive uh, indicative of the hero's journey or becoming an mm-hmm. adult right it's like when you, Absolutely. you, know, you work on yourself and then now you're able to you know have a, a greater perspective and mm-hmm. see it at, at play for others and mm-hmm. i had another note up on that that just kind of came to me, which was one of the reasons why people are unwilling to hear or understand the nature of some of this evil is because they have not gone into their own pain. That's right. So they cannot even comprehend the evil that lives in this world. Um, That's right. Because they're not ready for it. They can't handle it. It would destroy them. <laughs> exactly. Because they haven't been into their own pain yet. Mm-hmm. And then only after you do that, can you step up and then embrace the, this greater pain of the collective or this greater mm-hmm. evil and realizing mm-hmm. that evil it does exist? And obviously people yeah. still don't know that, but they haven't internalized it. They just kind of shrug it off like, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Let's watch mm-hmm. TV, drink a beer because yeah, that's, that's a little too much for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's like, um, yeah, a huge part of it is if you haven't, been into your own pain and if you haven't transformed um you know made love with your own pain then you're not going to be understand the the bigger picture or um understand the the the, the evil that exists in this world mm-hmm. um and then i had one other note or no actually i didn't that was that was largely it and so can you now going to some of the stuff that we see happening or portrayed in the media and in terms of riots and just how wickedly nasty people are to each other, just so quick to attack and to, to shame yeah. and to lash out. So, and then we hear talk of, you know, police brutality and racism and, and all these things. And so those things exist, but what I've come to learn from it and from recently, um, you know, you know, going, deeper in, again into my healing journey and some of the stuff I talked about with you is that I, I see these all as symptoms. These are symptoms of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, symptoms yeah, absolutely. Of, of, yeah. Yeah. A bigger wound. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then that brought me to another insight was that this idea that evil preys on weakness. Oh um, yeah. And you know, so if you are wounded, then that, that you have made, you have a space for that evil to come in mm-hmm. and to manipulate you. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's so the part of the importance of you know your own healing journey and also since i work with a lot of empaths this is called the healthy empath and then mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk of you know, how do we protect ourselves from other people's energy you know how do we stay grounded how do we stay in our yeah. bodies how do we stay healthy the number one I th- thing i always say is your best protection is your own healing journey you have that's to right. heal and transform your own pain it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you set up a psychic shield or a psychic barrier or mm-hmm. you know even if you just meditate all the time and hang out in nature you mm-hmm. have to heal your own pain and your own mm-hmm. wounds so mm-hmm. could you please talk to us about these primordial wounds you know mm-hmm. from the masculine and the feminine whichever one you want to pick mm-hmm. maybe or actually maybe the the, the masculine with you know this phallic castration mm-hmm. and the rage male male rage and female rage are both huge things things so yeah. can you actually talk about those core wounds behind male and female rage and perhaps how they differ mm-hmm. wow okay that's a lot <laughs> put your seatbelt yeah. on here we go <laughs> okay <laughs> well it, just to, even to to tie it back into uh, astrology which is really an ancient tool uh, of self-understanding um, and and psychological profiling. I mean, it, it is it's so ancient. I mean, astrology, it goes back to the beginning of consciousness when human beings first were aware of the sky and the movement of the moon. Of course, first of all, it's pretty hard to miss when you're in a totally dark environment where there is no artificial light. I mean, can you imagine how amazing it must have been to early humans to look at the sky and and to see these lights moving along? And and so that began the, the process of human beings projecting onto the sky, in this case, into the outer environment, these archetypal potentials. So, for example, as this evolved over millennia and uh, language, we, we began to have language to write this down, and then you had the early uh, astronomers who were all astrologers and all the alchemists and everything. They were all um, working off of this idea of projection. So uh, projection is a natural function of the psyche. We become conscious of that which is unconscious by projecting images out that then lock on to something that holds potential that is unconscious, that holds and carries it for us so that we can experience that through mirroring. So just for example, as early astrologers uh, began to write these things down, they would say, notice that, oh, you know, we, we just had a little war going on over here, and lo and behold, there's Mars doing something significant in the sky. So they began to correlate that the appearance of, just to use Mars, for example, because it's a pretty obvious one, Mars being the god of war, being the the aggressive, uh, competitive instincts, 
that take the form in the psyche of this these warrior characters, these warrior gods. So the early astrologers made note of that. Oh, okay, Mars was here, and lo and behold, we got attacked by the tribe next door. And, and so they began to accumulate this information, and over time, um, we began to see these patterns. So it lets us know, first of all, that projection is a very important function of the psyche, that we all do it. The problem is most people don't know that they are projecting. So we project well, what is unknown in ourselves onto others. And we do that most significantly or most powerfully really in our personal relationships. And the more intimate the relationship, the more intense are these projections. So the the tool number one that we need to learn how to use is this, this idea of projection. So that we need to know that all the time we are projecting onto another something that may be unconscious in ourselves. And if we know that, then we can approach the other person and say something to the effect of, oh, um, gee, you, uh, when you do X, Y, Z, I feel, you know, angry or afraid or whatever it might be. That way you open the communication to understand whether what you are perceiving about the person is actually that person or whether what you are perceiving is your own projection of something that is inside yourself onto that person. And, and just to Can I share a quick sure, story yeah. for the, uh, the listeners of projection. I think hearing these healing stories really help. And yes. so I'll share a personal one, very sim- a simple thing. So uh, I couldn't stand seeing my wife Susie cry. I hated it. My body would just react so viscerally. I wanted to run away and not come back. But, you know, if my mom was crying, my sister was crying, I just, you know, want to come in and give them a big hug. (laughs) And so they're, you know, it's like, why, why do I feel this towards her and no one else? And especially this was later into my healing work where I kind of um, was able to now like cry myself. Yes. And had had a very different relationship with it, but it was still there. Mm-hmm. And so I did a, a kind of a an exercise on it um, that was you know facilitated like in a, in a men's group. And the what was happening, I was projecting myself uh, or a piece of myself. So in particular, myself when I was a soldier in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and especially the like the, the the boy that was still alive in me that was there, mm-hmm. who was extremely scared and just wanted yeah. to cry. Mm. And then so seeing her cry or her inner child just be able to cry mm-hmm. made me extremely just mad and, and wanting to run away. And right. I had no idea that that was related to that for like seven years. <laughs> and then mm. like within like this 10, this 10 minute exercise I went through and then pulled back the projection. And now that's not there at all. And I can right. you know, hold her and support her. So that is how projection works. And that's a, a example perfect example. Perfect example. Please continue. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's see. Where were we then? Um, so talking about how um, astrology really was born, meaning this archetypal 
system. So astrology is really just a, a tool, uh, a, a, a means by which we can understand the nature of these different archetypes and how they operate within us. And it comes through these stories. You see, the, the, an archetype is the psyche's version in image form of a biological instinct. Okay? So, just let's use Mars, for example. So Mars is the war god and, and is depicted as uh, this aggressive, assertive, you know, get on the horse and, you know, pull out your sword and, and go after it. Well, what, what that image represents in the body, in the physical realm, and in our instinctual realm is the instinct to fight. So it is the the fight flight freeze mechanism in the body, in the, the biological system. So the the adrenaline, the cortisol, all the neurophysiology, the physical things that happen in your body, and you would know this Mike from being in in a war zone. Right? Like you you know what happens in your body mm-hmm. when uh you're frightened all the time your cortisol is roaring your adrenaline is roaring and and your whole body is ready to fight or run away or you're freezed in you know some kind of shock but it's a primal instinct with an image attached to it and, and the same thing goes with all of these characters, these uh, mythological archetypal characters. They're directly related to our physical body. So there is no separation between body and psyche, matter and spirit. They, they work together. And um, I would say just to, to kind of tie in uh, why we are in the condition that we're in right now with the, the things you mentioned, this, you know, insane, um, rioting and protesting and, and the way, uh, society has really broken down. Um, this is not an accident. In other words, what I call the foe, the forces of evil, which is you know, based on a, a psychological concept of psychopathy, of psychopaths and psychopathy, um, that there are groups of people, generations of people, families of so-called people, who have been seeking this uh, one ring to rule them all uh, for a very long time. And their main strategy it is to infantilize the the population, which is what is happening right now. I mean, when you observe, when you look out and watch these protests and this rioting and this uh, and and even this whole pandemic thing, um, if you keep people, if you keep the people in a state of fear, and you cut them off from their own instincts and the myths that help people understand what's going on in the unconscious. Uh, 
then you are able to arrest their development in, into an infantile childlike state. And it completely blocks the capacity uh, of individuals to mature. So we see this, you know, writing and protesting is a, is a perfect example because it's like a bunch of babies. Uh, you know, I, I see it as being that the stage of development that takes place from about three to five years old. Which, what goes on then, um, well, a lot of it is potty training, holding on and letting go, delayed gratification. This is what is learned in that very early stage of development. So if you remove the myths, the I mean, even the religious traditions, uh, and hey, I know there's a whole lot of evil going on in the religious institutions, so I'm not talking about the institutions, but rather the, the codes of morals and ethics that are really embedded in, in our humanity. And but, but these foe, uh, because they know all about psychology and how to manipulate human beings. So, again, none of this is an accident. This is the one ring to rule them all, folks, who are... So are what's going on on, the, on like the individual level, like on the individual's hero journey mm -hmm. from, you know, like the time when they... The, experiencing the first loss of innocence mm -hmm. and beyond and you know why why is there so much you know anger and rage or like you know, when I was talking to you and mm -hmm. you know the rage that you know that was within me so yeah. can you can you can you touch on that so people can you know go into their own stories and start to mm -hmm. transform this so they're not susceptible mm -hmm. well yeah and but the first thing is to realize that uh a lot of the tools for self-understanding, such as astrology, psychology, and, and all of these things that have come along the way over, over millennia, really, uh, have been taken from us. I mean, astrology uh, has been, you know, pretty much trashed. Uh, I mean, you certainly don't hear any, you know, good stuff about the value of of astrology in any of the mainstream, um, you know, media or anything like that, even in, in regular psychology, um, you don't uh, hear about that. So, so there's this vast body of knowledge that has been hidden and kept from us. So I would say, number one, for any anybody who is trying to understand themselves to learn about these things you know psychology philosophy uh, mythology all the things that you've looked into mike and and the things that i've studied and i'm trying to lay out a trail of breadcrumbs through my series uh to help people get a hold of it and then find it in themselves it, it's not that hard really, once you kind of open the door to these mythological um, stories, then it gives you like an operating manual. And and this business of infantilization and, and how that has uh, kept, or not, well, right now, how it keeps us in this divide and conquer 
uh, domain where it's like a bunch of little babies fighting with each other um, because they don't know who they are. They don't have a sense of purpose. They don't have a sense of vocatio. Vocatio is, is one's deepest calling, one's deepest calling to rise to your greatness and that there is a purpose and meaning in that. You see, suffering is bearable when there is meaning to the suffering. But if there is no meaning to the suffering, no stories, no uh, um, nothing to really aspire to, then there, there's really no purpose to life. So people fall and collapse into this you know, narcissistic, uh, childlike tantrum behavior. So what we all can do at the personal level is look into these stories that deal with these very issues of descent to the underworld. So the descent to the underworld, which is similar to the hero's journey. So there's the hero's journey. And then there's the Shiro's journey. And yes, it is a different path. And to, to talk a little bit about this castration, uh, wound that I delve into quite deeply in my series on kingship and the masculine, um, I talk a lot, uh, about the, uh, castration wound in men. And this is coming out of the work, uh, specifically of Eugene Monick. He's a Jungian analyst. And his, uh, books that I refer to, uh, are called Phallos, Sacred Image of the Masculine, and, um, Castration and Male Rage. So this really addresses what has happened to men. Um, that there has been a an ongoing demonization of men and the masculine principle at large, uh, certainly uh, since the 1960s, and uh, this feminization of of men and and the uh, categorizing of masculine. Um, values and abilities as something that is bad and and that must be squashed. Now castration occurs uh, on a number of different levels. Uh, the, the psychological castration is um, this destruction of, of male um, values and and of the purpose of the masculine principle at large so the masculine principle which is in men and women uh but for men if you're living as a man in a male body and yes there is a difference between men and women i'm sorry but that's <laughs> that's the reality and there the psychological structures that go along with that are are in my mind obviously different so if you're a man, the, the purpose of the masculine principle is to build a realm that can be safe and secure for life to grow within that realm. And in order to do that, you have to be willing and able to set a boundary, 
to fight if you are threatened, and to understand that for the life-giving force to really bring forth new life, that would be the feminine, then she needs a place of safety and, and comfort. And that is the role of the masculine principle. And that is also the role of men. So, so to be a king means that you are able, as a man, and I, I'm talking about capital K king, so the archetype of the king is the archetype of a male leader. And the correlate in Lord of the Rings, of course, is Aragorn. So I would encourage everyone who has not seen the Lord of the Rings or read the book to... Um, to look at that, that is the the archetype of what it means to be a mature man. A mature man is one who has reached for this quality of capital K kingship in themselves. And the structure in the psyche that forms the foundation of that capital K king is uh, a fourfold structure uh, developed by another uh, Jungian analyst by the name of Robert Moore. And he uh, wrote a series of books on these four archetypes, the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. So the, the king, the, the small k king in that uh, configuration is, is the man who is a leader. And by that, I don't mean that you have to, you know, step up on the stage of the world and, you know, be the president or the prime minister, or whatever it might be, but rather that you have a sense of um, calling, of vocatio in your own life, and that you are a leader within your own realm. So the first realm that a man has to master is the realm of his own life, your own family, your home, your business, you know, your immediate experience is your realm. So um, every man can attain capital K kingship by just being a responsible, uh, mature, moral, ethical man in his own life. You don't have to be the hero for the whole world. But that beginning is really the claiming of your phallic masculinity, the owning of the power within you to protect and defend your realm and the life-giving force within that realm that is usually your female counterpart, your wife, your children, uh, maybe your immediate family or, or people around you. That's your realm. And and so the cat or the small K king is the leader. So that is something you you find within yourself. How are you a leader? How are you a role model for the people? Just the people in your own life, your own family. And then uh, the warrior, of course, is the uh, that aspect of the masculine that protects and defends. And does so in a very rational and um, 
appropriate way, like a martial artist. Uh, you don't you don't want to be possessed by the warrior because if you identify with the warrior, then you're just going to be out there with your hair on fire, waving your sword around, and that is not that's not what a black belt would do. Okay, so so you work on managing that warrior part of the structure and then the the wise man or the magician would be you know a character like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings and and for a man you want to find that wise elder teacher within yourself and and through study through reading mythology or philosophy or or other um teachings that help you acquire wisdom that is the building of the wise man within the magician and then the the lover component of this structure it is about one's capacity to appreciate being alive in a physical body so it's not just about you know the the word lover actually is, uh, well, love is such a contaminated word these days that it, it's almost irrelevant. It's like the word God. You know, it's so contaminated with projections and, and just using the word in an ignorant way that it, it almost has no meaning. So uh, I might even say that instead of the lover, uh, to use the word the, the appreciator, um, to be appreciative of the senses and and the ability to just be in the present moment and appreciate life from one second to the next and to appreciate and enjoy your experience, your sensual experience of living in this amazing body, this amazing physical body, and and to enjoy, to like really enjoy and appreciate the fact that, that we have these amazing bodies and we can do these things and we can feel all these feelings and all these sensations and we can bring that into our relationships in a sacred way. So, so the lover is about first appreciating the physical experience and the ability to be in the moment and then taking it into the relational dynamic that moves us into the sacred aspect of sexuality. And of course, this is something that has been completely destroyed in our culture right now. The sacredness of sexuality has just been twisted to a point of unbelievable, um, well, evil. So, so mm. that most people, uh, and, and again, I think they really rolled this out in the 1960s when they, you know, started with all of this, um, well, feminism in its, you know, whatever it was, the third wave or, you know, whatever they're calling it now, um, that was, you know, projecting uh, 
evil onto men, you know. So that began the castration of men and the the cutting off of the sacredness of sexuality. I mean, it was all about, you know, just free love, free sex. You just run around, you know, doing whatever you want to, and having no concept of delayed, delayed gratification or um, any of that. So, so we could say that that was the desacralization of of sexuality. And thankfully now, uh, there's a lot more information and understanding of that aspect of the lover archetype, that sexuality is sacred and is a, a place where we can experience the divine in union with another, in sacred union with another. So, so that kind of in, encompasses the, uh, or at least a way of understanding the the masculine end of things and yeah. then and yeah go ahead. A, i say there's a predominantly female audience and mm -hmm. but this is you know definitely relates to to women as well especially That's right. because a lot of these women one have have uh children who are boys mm -hmm. and, women, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are you know married to men or uh, a lot of my clients are also divorced and yes. um, you know, single. So yeah. this can also help you when you're choosing your next partner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, keep, mm -hmm. keep these archetypes in mind. And then, uh, Laura Lee, perhaps you can explain that the concept of the, the anima too, the, the mm -hmm. opposite there. Um, mm -hmm. but before that, the, uh, going back to that book, yeah, the King War magician lover, uh, it's great. And I remember yeah, after reading it too, and really understanding I better, um, because you mentioned that the loss of these tools, and that's what this yes. book also talks about about mm -hmm. a lot. It's the the loss of uh, ritual, the loss of ceremony, yes. the loss of initiation. Initiation, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that, and if if you don't have those things growing up, then you don't know who you are. That's right. And if you don't know who you are, that goes back to what you said before. Now you're just doing whatever, I don't know, you've been programmed to do or in what you've seen in the movies or what other people are doing. So oh, mm -hmm. let's go crazy. Let's riot. Let's get drunk. That's well. Yeah. Because um, mm -hmm. you have no true concept of, of who you are, what you're doing here, you know, why you're here. And That's right. so, you know, like a lot of this stuff that I've, I've done myself and the healing work that I do with people, right? Mm -hmm. We, we weren't parented in this way with these ceremonies, initiations. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing for ourselves. We're in a constant exploration of who we mm -hmm. are and becoming more of ourselves every day. Right. And, and then so for when you have children, it's so important to bring back mm -hmm. in, you know, ceremony, ritual and initiation mm -hmm. and, and then do it with them, right? We, we have to mm -hmm. reparent ourselves. And, You're absolutely you know, right. Yes. My, kids are you know lucan's two and a half the new one's going to be pouring soon mm -hmm. and i realized that me raising them like i'm also reparenting myself and i'm growing yeah. up with them just as much as they are growing up mm -hmm. and then perhaps someday i'll be you know a wise elder but you know right now it's, it's gonna be fun i'm gonna grow up with them and i'm gonna yeah. you know, it's like i'm a, a kid at the same time and i mean my parents were fantastic but you know it's mm -hmm. more of a societal type thing you know i didn't have an and yeah. grow up knowing who I was, you know. Yeah, because they like didn't. An individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, th this is all part of what has been taken from us, kept from us, this ancient wisdom and, and uh, way of being a human that ha 
was known, you know, for millennia prior to this, uh, you know, the last hundred years or so, which has been a complete deconstruction of all of these uh, necessary things like uh, sacred ritual, initiation ritual, and and all that that entails. Um, and, and so the 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 idea of the masculine principle in women. So why why would these myths of heroes and uh, warriors be important for a woman? Well, because we contain within us what Jung called the contrasexual, uh, the inner opposite, which is if you live as a man, you have within you what Jung called the anima, and that is the female component of the psyche. And the anima is that part of the man, the feminine in the man, that is the guide to his soul and the meaning of life. Now, for a woman, it's the other way around. So why would a woman need to know about the archetype of the king and these four structures? Because if you don't have, if you're a woman and, and you don't have a conscious relationship with this inner masculine, then you are going to, number one, have a hard time surviving in the world as a woman. Because if a woman does not, if she has learned through her experience with the man in her life that uh, men can't be trusted, that they're they're abusive or they're um, abandoning or, or whatever it might be, then the woman internalizes an, an image or a feeling, let's say, about men and the masculine principle at large that that they're bad, and you don't want to um, find you know you don't feel good about this part of yourself, your inner warrior, your inner king, if if you've been set up to uh, believe that you know men are bad or weak or abusive and I, I mean we see this in the media the mainstream mind control media all the time this depiction of men and everything masculine it's, oh it's patriarchy it's evil you know we have to turn that you know turn that down tear that down and uh so it sets women up to have to act like men so women then feel like, oh my God, you know, I gotta, I gotta raise the kids, I gotta take care of all the feminine stuff, but I also have to go out in the world and act like a man and compete with men in the men's world. And it, and it's completely pathological. It, it is not good for women to, uh, be set up that way because it's being set up for failure. If you, if you, have been conditioned to believe as a woman that you have to go out into the world and act like a man and compete and you know do all this stuff that men do then you are cutting yourself off from your own instinctual femininity and and it's very bad for women i mean i've seen it over the many years that i've been you know, doing this uh, type of work, uh, the women who who have suffered terribly from this over-identification 
with the, the negative aspect of the masculine instead of being able to find within themselves an appreciation for what the masculine principle does. And that requires uh, for women now to reconnect with the primal elements of what it means to be a woman. And a woman's life is tied very closely to her body in a way that is not the case for men. And again, it comes back to the loss of initiation rights and all the rest of that. But uh, there, there are three stages uh, of a woman's life that has been identified, you know, for millennia, um, the, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And these archetypes define these very primary and, and instinctual phases of a woman's growth. Well, that has all been uh, taken from us, so no initiation rituals, really. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, denigration of, of the f basic functioning of a woman's body. So we, you know, have been uh, given a lot of, I think, negative uh, ideas about just menstruation. It, you know, in the ancient goddess traditions, it was believed that when a girl had her first period, that this was the gift of the goddess, that the goddess was giving the girl, the gift of her own blood, so that she could bring forth life. Now, just imagine if every little girl who had her first period and had some kind of initiation ritual where she was told that story, like, wow, I'm giving, I'm getting this gift from the goddess of life that is the perpetuation of everything in the universe. That's a pretty powerful thing. And that's a sacred thing. But the whole experience of, of menstruation has been demonized. You know, it's called the curse. It's this, you know, horrible thing we have to go through every month. And, oh my God, mm. it's painful. It's, and painful. it's messy. And, oh, um, so we have to recover that. And, and I would say, I would invite women uh, out there who might be listening to this to really, really think about that and, and to maybe rewind back to their own early, to, to their first menstruation and think about what was going on then. You know, what, what support did they have from their mothers, their families, their grandmothers um, to, to really feel the beauty and the sacredness of that event. So we as women have to, uh, you know, dig down, dig down deep enough to find the sacred in these bodily functions and to embrace those as something empowering instead of feeling that women and the feminine are, have been oppressed and, you know, beaten down by these horrible men 
Um, no, that's not what's happened. It's that we've lost this access to the sacred power of being a bringer of life. I mean, this is the big one, to be a bringer of life. We, we must come into contact with that. And by the way, you know, there are many women who did not have children. I did not have children. So one is a woman is still designed to be a bringer of life. Whether you bear actual children or not, you still have this potential to be a bringer of life. And you can do that in other ways in your life. So so this is not to cut out women who, who do not, for whatever reason, have actual children or who are unable to have actual children, that you still have within you the potential to be a bringer of life, to be a capital M mother. So that moves, moves us to the next stage of this maiden mother crone, um, component of, of a woman's life. So once you begin to menstruate and there is the realization that, oh wow, I, I have the potential, I'm designed and built to be a bringer of life. Well, along with that comes the, the psychological and emotional potential to be a nurturer and nourisher of life. And this is, this generally happens, uh, you know, to a woman in her, well, this follows actually, uh, some astrological cycles. Um, and so the first 30 years of life is the first, uh, cycle of Saturn. Saturn, or the first cycle of Saturn comes to closure, uh, around 29 to 30 years old. And, uh, just prior to that, at around 27 years old, we have the progressed lunar return. And this is, this is for men and women, but in a woman's life, this is a very significant, uh, cycle change because it's moving us psychologically. So even though we begin menstruating generally, you know, well, I think nowadays, gosh, women are, or girls are menstruating at eight years old, which is a total other discussion. Uh, it's not normal or natural. But anyway, uh, leaving that aside for the moment, we're, we're thinking in terms of the way these, these archetypal cycles, these natural rhythms of, of a woman's life, that you move from this maiden phase uh, into this phase of, of mother, capital M mother, which is um, a woman's owning of her responsibility as a bringer and protector and nourisher of life. So whether you're you're moving through this phase that it, you might have had your children younger than that, that's okay. The, the psychological process that takes place between 27 and 30 is this transition from being the maiden, um, the somewhat innocent uh, girl, into claiming this responsibility of being the capital M mother. And that uh, stage of... resident with yeah. my wife right now, ah. who's, who's been going through that. I, well, she probably had Luke in around 27, 29 ah. years ago, and you know, 29 right now, pregnant with the second oh. one due soon. And the, she had... had a, pretty rough pregnancy and you know that kind of 
Dark Knight of the Soul or Journey to the yeah. Underworld and a lot of it triggered by what's going on in the world today and sure. learning about some of these evils that we mentioned but didn't go too specifically in but especially in regards to children and the yeah. fact that that exists and you know her embodying now this mother the way that you talk about you know, was really really hard for her and you know yeah. so kind of, kind of is yeah. and you know to be able to step up and become a protector for mm. these children and her own children and you know that takes um you know right the, the death of of that inner inner child and yeah um, or the the innocence there which of course you know you integrate and you always have that inner child but you know um but really like the dying of that immaturity and stepping into the, yes. the realness and the wholeness of um this mother capital and mother's responsibilities mm-hmm. that's exactly right and so um, that stage then moves from around the end of the 20s uh, that mother, capital M, mother's cycle takes, takes us to the next Saturn return phase that occurs around 58 to 60. And usually by that time, most women have ceased menstruating and are in the menopausal phase. Well, now that's another part of a woman's life that has been severely demonized. Number one, because um, older women are, are completely rejected in our sick, distorted culture. And so we have no initiation rights. We have no way of transitioning out of that mother phase into what is the wise woman phase or the crone. So the crone or the wise woman is the woman who has put out into the world through the productive cycle, the, the mother phase, who has put her energy out, nurturing, nourishing, and, and maybe if she doesn't have children, maybe she's, she's been um, an artist or, or has done some other kind of work in the world that has been nurturing and nourishing, um, at least ideally, right? But what a, a woman should not be doing is spending that time, that mother time in her life, uh, pursuing masculine goals. Now, that doesn't mean women can't have careers and can't, you know, work. I, I'm not saying that at all. I don't, I'm not saying that women should be at home barefoot and pregnant and, you know, obeying their husbands. No, it's, it's, uh, a completely different way of being in the world. If you are honoring your feminine selfhood, then what you do in the outer world comes out of that feminine, not a repression and a demonization of the feminine and a, um, you know, pursuit of things that, that are of the masculine. And so it's less about what you do, but more about how you do it? Yes, and how you feel about yourself when you're doing it. That's mm -hmm. really important. So, so the, back to this, um, you know, goddess, uh, blessing. Yeah, feel, feel free to wrap it up too, by the way. Thank you for your time. I mean, I could oh, go okay. as, a, you know, forever listening, but I know oh, okay. we talked about it a time earlier. So yeah, just feel free to, you know, All take right. it however you want from here. Okay. Well, um, maybe just finishing up with this, uh, the wise woman crone. 
um, aspect of a woman's life. So going back to the story of the goddess giving the gift of her blood to the girl to bring forth life, well, when uh, menopause takes place, it was believed that the goddess at that time was giving the woman the gift of the blood to absorb within herself and give birth to wisdom. So this is what elder women need to be contemplating right now. That if you are a, a post-menopausal um, woman and you're feeling the loss of meaning in your life, think on this. Think on this image that you... The blood is now being absorbed within you to bring forth wisdom. I mean, that is a beautiful uh, image. And, and that it helps women to let go of attachment to their youth. Um, because obviously we live in a culture that certainly uh, puts women and, you know, that you've got to be young and cute and hot and, um, sexy and, you know, all this distorted imagery of what uh, women are, especially elder women. So we, we really need to understand and change that just as individual women to, to find that source of inner wisdom that's been born out of your whole life experience. And then to take that and Put it together in some way that you can share that with your children or your grandchildren or or others in your life. You know, often women of in this uh, crone wise woman stage, um, they they become artists or musicians or or they begin to write books or or um, bring to the world the uh, products of their own, uh, the products that they have nurtured, um, and bring that to the world as a gift. So that, uh, that kind of encompasses the, uh, the feminine part mm. uh, of the journey. Of course, there is lots we can go into from there, but I, I would invite um, your audience to uh, look at my series and uh, to particularly, if you're interested in the masculine-feminine aspect, to look at the, the last two episodes, which are on kingship and queenship. Yeah, I hope this serves this whole um, chat we've been having here. It serves as a, something to wet the whistle a little bit, you know, um, spark some interest uh, so mm -hmm. that people can go and, and learn more. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff within here. Um, but yeah, if something's resonating, you know, within you about this conversation and th these concepts, then definitely go e explore deeper. Mm -hmm. So, Laurel, can you share um, your website, the easiest place for them to get in contact with you? Um, well, yeah, right now the web my website is the best uh, way, and um, oh gosh, <laughs> what is it now? Uh, how also about put a you, link to it on my website. Yeah, why don't you just put a link to it, uh, Mike? It's easier for people to just click on a link than 
um, you know, me to spell it all out because it's, it's not really an easy sort of website. But what they'll find on, on my site is, um, there'll be some information about my astrology work. And then if you want to investigate my, uh, series on Lord of the Rings, the, uh, tab on the, on the website is Eowyn's Sword. And, uh, you'll, you'll find there, uh, um, uh, just kind of an overview, a written overview of, uh, my approach to the whole, uh, story. And then the videos are posted at the bottom of the page and you can just click on the, the video and it'll come up and you can watch, watch it from there. Uh, my, uh, videos are also on Vimeo. Um, but uh, to tell you the truth, I I don't know how you get there from Vimeo. Uh, I'm no pretty low we'll, tech. We'll put a link to it. We'll <laughs> okay. find it. If, if anyone wants to find it or yeah is interested, there they'll be able to find it. Don't, don't yeah. worry. Yeah, and and on my website there there's uh, a way to 